Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 57 to Incheon. Hi, Alex. Hi, Paul. How are you? Greetings from sunny California. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we said in the last episode, I am in London. It's uh, 5 p.m. and you're in California, which is very early in the morning. Nine, well, not too bad. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's an absolutely beautiful day. So uh, this is uh, this is fun. We've done this in the past. We know it works. So uh, <laughs> actually, it doesn't the technology doesn't change or the arrangement doesn't change. It's just the time zones, really. Yeah, and the kind of drink you're going to have in, in whilst <laughs> yeah, uh, recording exactly. it. Still- <laughs> That's very true. That's a very good point. <laughs> you're still on coffee. Uh, we'll talk about the, your travels and how you got there a little bit later on the show. Um, I was in... Uh, Seoul just last week, which is why we chose that airport. We'll talk about it at the end of the show. But I can already reveal that I've flown the 747-8i. Finally, Uh you've done it. (laughs) Twice. I'll let you know the story as well. Uh, Quick shout-out at the beginning. We received a shout-out from someone on Instagram, for once, Tyler Mixer, who wrote, listening to the KIX episodes of Layover at KIX. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Shout-out to Alex and Paul for an awesome podcast. So there there you go. Uh, you'll be there uh, in the fall, so you'll be able to discover the airport we mentioned in the last episode. But thank you so much, Tyler. That's really cool of you to do to, to have that kind of shout out. Um, since we are in the US, uh, because you are in the US, of course, uh, what everybody talks about every time we talk about the US is the fight between the US airlines and the Middle Eastern ones. Qatar Airways is mm. buying a big stake from American Airlines. This is pretty staggering. The, yeah, it is. And it's one of those things that I think is we're going to hear a lot more of because it was not a hostile acquisition, but unsolicited, I think is probably the best way to put it. It happened. <laughs> didn't it happen during the recent IATA conference? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, indeed, yes. I mean, that was the announcement. So the, the stakes haven't been bought yet. Qatar Airways has disclosed it wants to buy stakes. At first, it was 3.5% of American Airlines stakes. I've read two days ago that this increased to 45 mm. and But the long-term goal would be to buy 10% of American Airlines. So that is a big one. That uh, I think even 3.5% was about like $800 million. So we're not talking about small no. you know, pocket change and it, here. And, and this, this was not particularly welcome news to Doug Parker, who is the CEO of American Airlines. He he responded in quite a reticent manner saying, I think you referred to it as unfortunate or something like that. That was sort of like, <laughs> this is, we don't know where this is coming from. We're not massively enthusiastic. But of course, anybody can buy these shares. They're on the stock market. So if uh, Al Baker and, and Qatar can find willing sellers, then they can do whatever they want. And it does put American in a slightly weird position because they are an alliance member. They're both in, in one world. And, you know, that type of, of infusion of cash would not go amiss. But And we have to say before I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying this. Of the major U.S. carriers, American has been the least vocal against the ME3, yeah. but they have not Absolutely. been silent in this in this fight. So no. 
it, 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 it's just super awkward, right? And I think it's a massive, massive ego play. Not ego. That's not that's not true. It's just a confidence move by Al Baker saying, "Not you know, we're going to come and buy you. You know that, right? You know, it, it's yeah. such a, I, it's <laughs> such a, I love it. I love him. You know, I don't, I don't always agree with him, but I think, you know, he is the kind of character that you could not write a better script for if you tried. He's just hilarious and this is just another typical move that you'd see in house of cards or something <laughs> i love him he looks you know some of these comments are are like these uh owners of formula one team racing stuff you yeah. know like they always like oh god outrageous but but that's why we love him honestly for all controversial he can be and you you were right you mentioned that the ceo of aa basically learned about that news once he was attending the conference it was not even something that he got from a back channel he learned the news as we were all learning about yeah. it at the same time. So exactly, <laughs> and it's unusual. Usually these these type of deals are struck in back rooms during these types of conferences and everybody does the big handshake at the end, but this was not one of those deals. This is very no. hilarious to me. <laughs> but at, at the same time, it makes maybe sense for Qatar because with all the problems they're having currently, there, so the you know the ban around them is still up. So they have issues. So mm. they have to basically maybe find other ways to actually make money. So that's why I think one it's of them. very clever, uh, and I think it's they've already managed to do a good job of of getting value from the relationship with IAG and Heathrow. Yeah. And that's been a, you know, a reciprocal benefit. In fact, it was weird when we flew out of, out of Heathrow on Thursday, seeing like eight or nine Qatar Airways A320s at T5 as well. So BA are obviously <laughs> are already benefiting from that relationship. So, but as you said, this is not a done deal yet. It'll take a lot of, uh, of, of time. And of course, obviously money so it'll be interesting to see but i love this story already yeah about this uh, story of qatar having issues because of the the ban around them uh this this interesting tidbit of uh, qatar airways canceling a350 that were nearing completion and when i say nearing completion i think two out of the four were already having their seats being put in. There's a clause in the contract when they buy uh, Airbus aircraft that says that if a plane is delayed by too long, they can actually act on this clause and say, we don't want them. And this is exactly what they've done. I don't think it's it's a case of them changing their mind about the 350. No. I think it's a case of them having to reduce the number of flights currently because of the situation they're enduring, thus canceling the orders they can, and that sadly is these four aircrafts from uh, from Airbus because they need aircrafts. And and Al Baker has has been super vocal about Airbus being bad at delivering the aircrafts on time. So it, it's it's an interesting play because it seems that Qatar Airways is playing it as Airbus, you're being bad, you're not delivering on time. But at the same time, the reality is. We don't have enough capacity right now. We'd rather not have these planes on our hands. Yeah, I'm sure it was a welcome relief to to them to be able to cut the cord on these, given the situation that they're in. Because from what I can see, this situation isn't going to end anytime soon. So having those yeah. off the books is probably a welcome relief. And, you know, that clause is a sensible one. And, and Air, Airbus haven't had the best track record. And I think with the backlog for some of the seat and interior manufacturers as well, just compounding this issue, getting them off the the books is probably 
not a bad thing at all for them at this phase. But it will be very interesting. I think I read somewhere, and it might have been some armchair uh, CEOing on airliners, but that Delta might pick those orders up. But again, like oh, you said, two wow. of them are pretty uh, much uh, done. So there's a lot of work to go yeah. into decompleting them, I guess, if you will. But it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah, to exactly. see who picks them up or if they just wait or defer them. But these were cancellations, not not deferrals. Since you just mentioned Delta, let's go there. Uh, the video that Delta released to their oh employees, basically telling that, oh, bad, bad Middle Eastern carriers, bad, bad getting subsidies, bad, 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 raging for eight minutes. Did you see it? Uh, yeah. One of the cr- cringiest <laughs> things. I've ever seen. It was just this blatant <laughs> propaganda. You know, it was supposed to be an internal employee video, but they actually put a press release out about it, which is, you know, by definition, not internal. And it was, it was so cheesy and cringy. And I, 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 you know, I, in my always diplomatic way on Twitter said that if, if they'd spent as much money on this video, it instead pl- applied those funds to, I, th- I think I said, de-shittifying their passenger experience, then <laughs> they might be able to compete. But what a, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. You know, everybody, I think, knows my stance on this. And it's not binary. It's not black and white. But it's, it's yeah, this is not. silly. This is silly. Nah, we are not. But we are, I mean, for anyone who has listened to our show since the beginning knows that we are pro competition anti-subsidy but in that case we also say that subsidies pretty much a kind of subsidies are supposedly being accused of most of them the u.s airlines got them as well anyway long debate you can just re-listen to most of our first year of shows and you'll have our stance on that yeah. one uh, um the other news since we're talking about the middle east uh the rumor that flight dubai might be merging with emirates yeah so that's an interesting one have you ever flown flight dubai yourself no, I haven't. It's so it's not, you know, it's not the same quality. And when I say quality, don't misread me. I'm talking the, the planes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, are, are as good and as safe as the ones from Emirates. But it's not the same play. It's not an eye-hand product. It's a middle-end product, if you'd like. It could make sense because Emirates uh, is still expanding, still receiving aircrafts. But they might want to have a play which is more local without having to use 380s to go next door. And they might have to also maybe lower costs by integrating an airline that is known to have lower costs, which is Fly Dubai. Of course, the issue would be that uh, how do you merge them? Do you actually merge the brand as well? Do you keep them separate? Because they mm. really clearly are different products. You do not expect the quality of service, the quality of the passenger experience when you board a flight Dubai plane than when you board Emirates. So that's the big question mark. It's still a rumor, but it could make sense. Yeah, I, it is. Well, I mean, Tim Clark has, has come out and said that uh, they are working to to bring them together in the next 18 months in some capacity. But as you say, that the specifications for that integration have not been defined yet. And I didn't know, and I don't think I still know, the relationship as it is today between those two carriers. I know that, that Emirates has a stake in Flow Dubai, but I wasn't sure uh, how integrated they were, how much oversight the Emirates executive team have over Fly Dubai. I know there was a lot of scrutiny over Fly or of Fly Dubai uh, after their incident in Russia when they lost a, a, a hull due to uh, I think it was it was a third or fourth attempt to land during bad weather and the pilots were yeah were, yeah, uh, yeah we talked about fatigued that and all of that and there was a lot of lot of a lot of scrutiny on their 
their practices there. But um, as you say, I think that otherwise they, they seem to be a very good outfit. So that'll be interesting to see. I think the strategic aim of the of the integration is to free up some slots at the the existing Dubai and future Dubai airports for Emirates. So it makes sense. Tim Clark is yeah, is a yeah. master. So, you know, he's got a, a, clearly a lot of thought has gone into this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we'll keep monitoring this one, but it could actually make sense mm. a lot since we're talking Emirates. Emirates, Etihad, and Turkish do not have to endure the laptop ban anymore. Uh, that's great news. Uh, the the first one to have been freed of the laptop ban were flying to the US was Etihad. I think it was about uh, 10 days ago. Then Emirates just behind and Turkish. So it's the reason why is a bit uh, muddy because... Uh, when I read the first news about Etihad, it said that the airport in Abu Dhabi had increased its uh, security capacity, thus was validated by the U.S. to be able to fly laptops, etc. That's what they say, but when you read on the press release side on the U.S. side, they don't actually mention it. So is it simply that they've actually done some increase in security? Is it simply that they've assessed the current security and said it was actually good enough. But that happened as well in du- for Dubai Airport. We had said ourselves that f- at least for Dubai and Abu Dhabi Airport, we found that the ban was a bit uh, too much, as in security in those airports is already very high. But it seems then that if you still fly with Turkish to the UK, you still have a uh, some kind of ban, but not to the US. So that's not completely clear now. Yeah, it's it's been a developing story over the last few days as well with Kuwait and Royal Jordanian also uh, have been the, la- the latest airlines that, where the ban has been restricted. I I was doing some reading on this this morning and I tried to find it, but there was a – I think it was an industry site, an airline industry site that said that there wasn't actually anything to substantiate the claim in the first place, which is why you've seen yeah. this cascading removal of the ban so quickly. Uh, I wish I could find the source, but uh, it was I kind of confirmed what we all suspected that this there wasn't a whole lot of substance to this ban, which is why it's been repealed so quickly. But as we've said time and time again on this show, when intelligence like this comes out, you you, you feel compelled to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if it's a of slight course. inconvenience to us as travelers as well. But yeah. it's nice to see this has been repealed. I think it makes everyone's life a lot easier and one would hope uh, ultimately safer. There the were also news that the laptop ban would not be expanded to other countries. So it's still in place for the countries that were not uh, lifted for the ones we just mentioned, but it won't be expanded. I think we said last episode that there was not an expansion in Europe, but there were other countries in consideration in Southeast Asia, APAC, and other places in the world. For the moment, there's no expansion. So this is still uh, very limited to a very few countries. It's still of much an inconvenience for them. It's but like like you said, I mean, we we were a bit sometimes angry about um, having this um, suspicion that parts of it was protectionism. Then again, as you say clearly as well, we are not uh, and nobody is actually fully aware of the security reasons on why they do that kind of stuff, yeah. and it's a bit sometimes just too easy to could but i mean at least it's going the right direction maybe simply these airports have increased security and matched what the u.s authorities wanted and thus we are flying actually safer yeah and if that's the case well good news good news for us which also means that i'll have less of a issue trying to fly again emirates to the u.s <laughs> because i would have not tried it alex i am sorry but i have a delivery can you give me five minutes <laughs> yeah go for it sorry no 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 yeah, go for you. it now I'm going to do what Paul did to me in the last episode. 
Paul is going to get a delivery of probably some new electronic gadget that I will immediately envy. I kind of want to see what it is. I'm back. Sorry. No problem. There you go. Still here? Yes. Yeah. And I left Plus you a little food. So I left you a little Easter egg in the audio the as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I might actually leave it into the, the recording. We'll see. Uh, where were I? Uh, I'm not sure, though, that in uh, Dubai... Well, it could happen, actually. Have you seen that piece of news? Uh, I'm just going to read out loud the title. It was in uh, The Atlantic. That time, the TSA found a scientist 3D-printed mouse penis. <laughs> the kind of stuff that has to go through security, I guess, sometimes. I mean, the article is about, you know, what sometimes scientists have to carry with them. Yeah which is obviously not standard. I mean, this is a fantastic article. Did you ever carry such, uh, such things, Alex? No, no. It has been a while since I've had to carry my <laughs> mouse penis around. But uh, yeah, I, it, I'm glad someone wrote this article. It needed to be written. <laughs> <laughs> I will say something. I will admit something on this show. I think it was... It, I know it was in Eastern Europe. I'm trying to remember which uh, airport. I, I, I will remember maybe during this uh, recording of the show... I had a microphone with me, you know, one of these oblong microphone. And clearly it was on my carry-on. It was the time when we were trying to do some of these recordings on the go. And I was traveling and I had it with me. And uh, clearly the guys at security thought it was a dildo. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I saw their faces. She was like blushing red and was like, what is going on? What do I have in my my bag, actually? And then uh, that, that, that was resolved. That was super funny, actually. We made a lot of jokes about that one. <laughs> uh, talking about uh, still in the Middle East, Dubai has this very special position with Emirates because they have this osmosis in what they can actually deliver to the passenger. A bit like some other airports, maybe you know Cathay and Hong Kong yeah. and maybe BA to some extent and, and Heathrow. But the symbiosis is even greater there and they're trialing facial boarding. So, I mean, we, we had mentioned a few of these experiments in the past, so it would mean that as soon as you enter, I guess, the first security point when you put your uh, passport you will have a photo taken of you and that would lead you all the way throughout the plane without ever having to show neither your boarding pass or passport that's very cool yeah i mean this is basically one of the bottlenecks right if you can resolve the bottleneck of having to stop and show identification and show your boarding pass for the upteenth time that can also like deliver a more seamless passenger experience in airports. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea as well. And I, you're right, that is the bottleneck. And I think it would speed up boarding exponentially. I wonder if they would have the same system that you discovered at, uh, I can't remember if it was Heathrow or Gatwick that you discovered it, where they, you know, you go through these automated passport machines, but then someone is yeah. still having to validate it on the back end. Uh, so I wonder yeah. how much of this is automated versus, but you know, it's, you, I don't think in all of the other places that I've experienced the the passport gates that you have somebody else doing that. It might just be a, uh, a CAA or something to do with the, um, the UK Border and Immigration Authority that mandates that. So I, I think this is great. Yeah. I'd love to see how how it works. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is one of the pain points in airports. And I think uh, we would go one day into this uh, science fiction scenario when as soon as you enter the airport, you recognize as Paul or Alex, and the camera is actually following you, is even scanning you to see if you have any forbidden objects on you, to see what kind of behavior you have, maybe even like directing you, and that will freak out the privacy people, direct you to yeah. the right place to actually uh, make some shopping, and then walk 
to the aircraft, a bit like we used to do maybe in the 50s, yeah. you know, with, but simply this time we're having all these cameras and sensors around us basically clinging us without having us to do anything about I it. I think, and we talked about this as well in a, in a previous episode, maybe 20 episodes ago, about the security at airports in like Tel Aviv in Israel, where yeah, they Tel were Aviv, starting yeah. to use this technology to detect threats uh, passively almost. So it, I think what we're seeing here is the is the hybrid implementation of, of those technologies, less about threat detection, but not completely not about threat detection. And then, you know, trying yeah. to increase efficiencies in, in these areas that have been, as you say, pain points for decades, literally decades. And I don't think that we will see the expansion of views. Of course, there will be the privacy concerns, which are, which are you know, a yeah, big question mark, yeah. because how much... But I don't think either we'll see the expansion of views as long as we don't have IATA standards, because if you or IACL, because as long as you don't have standards, here we're talking about Emirates and Dubai. If you want the seamless integration of boarding passes, and, and as long as you don't have that worldwide with some kind of standard that allows like a seamless integration of all the systems together, mm. we might only see experiments at some airports and not this diffusion of technology everywhere. It will take time, yeah. but I mean, maybe in our lifetime we'll see something. Well, I like think that. you're going to see it pretty quickly at places like Dubai. For Emirates, where, you know, they're moving staggering numbers of people of their own customers throughout what is essentially their own airport. Same perhaps with BANT5, that that's a great testing ground for these, where you've got a sort of closed audience of people that you can, you know, experiment with these processes. I know that if you have a Skywards member's card, the African Frial Mile program, you can embed your data on it and thus access Dubai if you're on layover or simply if you're going there instead of using your passport. You go to a gate, you scan your card, which is your frequent miles card, and you get access to your country. I've not trialed it yet. We might try if we go to Dubai soon enough. We might both try it to see if we can actually enroll to that program. I think it's possible for 25 countries, and we're both uh, in the list of countries. So we might actually try that. But again, that could only happen in Dubai because Skywards, you know, is Emirates program. I don't think that Skywards would actually work in, you know, Houston or something. No, no. Uh, I will say uh, I was uh, checking in for my flight. At least tomorrow. I'm flying tomorrow to Hong Kong first in Manila. I'm using uh, so Emirates uh, via Dubai. I'm stopping in Hong Kong and then I'm catching a flight later on to Manila with uh, Cathay Pacific. I bought it on Emirates' website. That's very interesting. So they really offer other airlines for the routes they're not doing. They have these interlining agreements. It's very interesting. And I will test that tomorrow and after tomorrow with the, the time zone difference. The the thing is, I loved the checking process of, of Emirates on their mobile app. It was really, really well done. But you can still see their glitches exactly because of what I said, because there's third party involved. And then they were struggling to check me in for that last bit mm. for the uh, the. Cathay Pacific, and I think that I will still have to go to the check-in counter uh, tomorrow. But interesting that these are the airlines that are pushing a bit this idea of how easy it is to to do the old process, including checking in. It's nice to see them and everybody pushing what we can do and trying to get as much done before one arrives at the airport as you can, so that you've got all of your boarding passes or as many boarding passes as you can, which gives them a platform to deliver more and timely information to you as and when it's it's appropriate. So they may not have the gate for you, but at least they have the platform to deliver that information to you because you've got you've already checked in and you know, you know, they, they can plan uh, fueling better and catering and all, and all of that because a lot of us will have uh, mentioned how many bags we're bringing and all of that. So I, again, I love to see airlines 
taking the lead on innovation for some one would hope and again perhaps iCal can facilitate this that whatever discoveries they make they can share some of them with other airlines to kind of help the traveling public enjoy these the benefits of these experiments yeah. and not just keep them for themselves. Yeah, you're right. I hope so. Talking about uh, 380s, because Emirates, as we say, constantly on this show is one of the only companies that actually relies on 380s. Uh, as part of the expansion of Hong Kong Airport, which shall be tomorrow, so they, you know, they're building a third runway. They had to increase, actually, the landing fees for that to finance that thing. Uh, they're building new parts of the terminal. They are building a massive sky bridge. So if you've ever been, guys, to uh, Gatwick Airport, there's a sky bridge so there's a, a path for passengers and you are walking above the aircraft only that this one in hong kong will allow clearance for 380s it's very so this cool is a pretty massive bridge it looks great i mean, there's some great articles with the artist renderings on them but the one at gatwick I mean, it looks very similar to that but it's such a yeah, unique perspective absolutely. it's not very often where you get a chance to see a plane move underneath you like that and and the one at gatwick can take 787s and 777s i don't think it can take a 380 but yeah it, it seems like a a sensible solution to uh hong kong expansion need and it really does need it because as i, I mentioned in a previous episode the experience right now is a little disjointed but it sounds like they're going to yeah. resolve that with this major expansion program yeah which costs a lot of money the one thing that is really good is that the main argument into building this is that they don't want to have shuttle buses. So they'd rather have us walk, which I also prefer, mm, and having, of course, moving walkways instead of buses. I mean, I'm a staunch uh, adversary to buses. I usually hate buses in all airports. So I'm very happy that Hong Kong is building this. We'll have to wait until 2020 to see this. So That's a pretty lot fast, of, uh, though, isn't layovers it? Episodes. Yeah, well, look at what happens in Heathrow. We're still talking about well, the exactly, runway, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, still, uh, because we start with the mid least we'll stay on the Middle East. Um, Etihad, uh, this news uh, came from uh, Eric, her husband in tow. Uh, it's an interesting program. So Etihad, I've, I've taken it a, a few times. Etihad already allows you to bid for upgrades. So you put an amount of money, you have a, a little slider and you can say, I'm going to put $200, $600 to be upgraded to X, Y, and Z. And now they will offer, and I want your opinion on that because there's a lot of uh, chatter about this. They want to offer you the possibility to bid on the fact that you won't have a passenger sitting next to you. So obviously that's for economy, mm. but let's say you are 323 or 333, and you want to guarantee the fact that it'll be alone, you can bid to that fact. What do you think? You know what? I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I would love to know, you know, as a percentage of a whole ticket price, what it would be. I'm, You know, f f the way that we, as my, my family, which is my wife and I and, and two kids, we try and do it so we're not all sitting in a row because my kids will just piss each other off. So we, usually me and one of my sons <laughs> and my wife and the other son, and we sit either, you know, stacked, you know, so we're not all in one row. Yeah. And w when we flew over, I booked our, our flights ages ago and picked our seats ages ago. And I did me on the window and my son on the aisle and left the seat in the middle, hoping that no one would be stupid enough to pick that seat. <laughs> but if I, you know, if I could pay, you know, a little bit, of money to make sure I didn't have anybody in there, I would be able to relax a little bit more. But there, there's an in interesting yeah. twist to that tale when I, and I'll tell you that when, when I tell you about my travels later. But yes, I mean, I think I would definitely be the target demographic for this product. That's also my idea. The first idea came into mind. I mean, I'm, I was thinking it's a win-win because it's a win for the passenger, for you in that case, and it's a mm -hmm. win for the airline because instead of having a seat that nobody has paid for, 
you actually have paid something for that free seat. Yeah. Now the question is, imagine the same scenario, you enter into the flight, you've paid, let's, I don't know, because the, it's, it's an experiment, it hasn't launched yet, so I don't know what the price would be, but let's say you've paid $200 to ensure that the seat next to you on a row of three, because you're already two, is not taken. You board the plane, and then half of the plane is empty, meaning that you would have gotten it anyway. Yeah. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I, I would imagine there's some pretty intense uh, revenue management number crunching going on here that yeah, clearly, yeah. finds the sweet spot for you know the flight being busy enough where there's the real threat that somebody will come and sit in that seat versus the descent, the scenario that you just described. So I yeah, yeah I well yeah, I mean to I answer agree. your question, yes, I would feel pretty upset, but one <laughs> would hope that they would give passengers enough information to make an informed decision by you know you can you yeah. can't always tell by looking at the seat map prior to 24 hours i always go an expert flyer and look at the actual loads so i was pretty confident that we would be okay when i looked at the loads for the flight coming over but you know the amount yeah, of times we are outliers done... not a lot of people check uh, expert exactly flyer well not a lot of people do this. and then when they, you know within 24 hours and you're auto allocated a seat then the whole thing gets turned on its head you know yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i think they're right to do it it would be nice to see if the experiment works because i'm sure that other airlines although some load factors even if you're 80 percent it would be nice to have that option and it would be nice for even someone tall like me if I could pay just a slightly more it really to does ensure make that a I'm, I would actually pay for that. I'd rather pay for that instead of paying $600 or whatever to be upgraded. Well, that's another thing. Bit, uh, that's another thing. I think, right. you know, again, that comes down to being able to provide the customer with the inf enough information. Like if you're going to pay 300 bucks to keep that seat open, but then they offer an airport upgrade for 150 Again, I would be pissed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's go back to uh, Europe. I uh, forgot to mention last episode. It, it, it's just a tidbit. Uh, I went to see Guns N' Roses oh, at the Olympic Stadium. <laughs> yeah, that was really amazing. At the Olympic Stadium in London. And there's one thing I wanted to say. I'm not going to do a review of the show. It was amazing. Five stars out of five, like our show. <laughs> but the one thing that was really cool <laughs> was the fact that you would see all the planes in final and all the planes departing from Lucy. You see them oh, so close cool. to you. So you have you have a concert and you have these, I mean, I'm, I'm probably the only geek out of 80,000 people looking at this when I was listening to Guns N' Roses, but still, that is so cool. So if you ever have a concert later at um, the Olympic Stadium in London, guys, just put your eyes up you might see really cool birds over there <laughs> this is really really fantastic <laughs> you used the ba to go to california i did indeed yep 787.9 so you were not in the strikes you yep. actually well, skipped that right we ah! could well have go been ahead. We could well have been. Our flight was uh, was mixed fleet crew, who are the ones that are striking, and it's a it's a very very long strike. It's sixteen days, but there was no issue. Oh, you know what? I'm lying. There actually was a pretty significant oh. issue, and I okay, will give I will give BA massive props for the way that they dealt with it. When we got on board, it was clear that it wasn't a normal situation vis-a-vis -vis cabin crew. They all looked incredibly young. First of all, oh, very, very, very young. Even the people in the premium cabin and the cabin service manager, they all looked very, very young. That just may have been a coincidence, but I have a feeling that there were lower roster on the roster people. But okay. the, the cabin service manager came on and said, we are working with a severely reduced number of cabin crew on this flight. There was only eight flight attendants for the entire plane. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And that's a big, that's 787.9. That's the bigger of the two available models. And they were hustling. They said, look, you know, we really appreciate your patience. It's because of the industrial action. They kept apologizing. They kept apologizing. They they warned us before we even pushed back that the service was going to take a little bit longer. And, you know, they would, but I have to say they were fantastic. My, my son was really unwell on the flight. I mean, nothing serious, just he does this. Uh, and they were he he <laughs> destroyed two seats. Uh, so if you if you were flying from San Jose to to London on Thursday and there was a couple of seats blocked in economy, that was my son. Uh, <laughs> but they were great. Nothing was too much trouble for them. They I think they felt like they were on the back foot. It could have gone either way, and they handled it with dignity and grace. I I bash BA a lot. They did a great job. Oh wow, that's that's actually very nice to hear. That's really nice to hear. I'm I'm just gonna since you're talking about something very positive about BA because we've been not bashing, but we've been of course criticizing yeah. BA in the past few episodes for a lot of things they mishandled. But there's been this story about this uh, four-year-old girl who loves uh, planes and actually goes to airports to see them, but she had never flown before. And BA found out that she had never flown before and made everything possible for her to actually fly. They gave her a VIP flight. It was a domestic flight in the UK. I don't remember uh, which. I think it was Leeds to London or something and back. But I mean, what a surprise. And you know, this is like kind of, I, I know it's maybe silly and small, but having an airline that cares, that says, oh, we know that you love airplanes. You've never been in one. You've never flown. Here you go. This is a VIP treatment for you. We're going to fly you for free back and forth so you can enjoy that. At four years, oh, I found the story fantastic. Yeah, no, I did too. And I it's, mean, I think it's a lovely reflection, I think, of a, of a, of a deeper kind of ethos in BA that's been a little bit suppressed in the last few years, but it's lovely to see it Absolutely. peaking out from time to time. And again, like, like yeah. I said, you, you really saw the, the, I don't know, the strength of that culture on this, on this flight over. They were, they had their backs against the wall and they, they never lost sight of what was important, which was the, the, the customer experience. And, you know, I have to raise yeah. my hat to them on that. So you, you said, you hinted at that uh, earlier in the show that uh, we know that BA actually applied to use Qatar Airways <laughs> aircraft yeah. to basically, so they wet lease. So by wet lease, we mean they not only got the, the aircraft, but they also got the crew. So there was a chance if you were flying uh, short haul, especially maybe medium haul in Europe, that uh, even if you bought BA, you would end up in a Qatar Airways flight. And again, I think there's two reasons. One of the reasons, of course, is BA needed capacity, and that's that's what we'll discuss about. But the other thing, obviously, is that Qatar Airways, because of the situation, we also hinted at the fact that they have to reduce their operations because of the ban they're experiencing now in around them in Qatar, actually had those aircrafts uh, available. So you, you saw them. You actually saw those Oh, aircraft, yeah, they right? were everywhere. They were everywhere. All over wow. T5. And, and I read a, re- a trip report on airliners and they, you know, this person couldn't believe their luck when they, I think they were doing a flight to somewhere, Aberdeen or Dublin or somewhere very short haul. And they, they were in Club Europe, the business class, and said, boy, I could not have been any luckier. The seat was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> the food the food was the standard Club Europe catering and that was fine. The service was amazing. They just said, you know, compared to the kind of clapped out Club Europe experience that you can occasionally get, that it was top drawer. So, you know, if you're flying, as Paul said, <laughs> short haul or medium haul on BA, 
you know, do whatever you need to do to get some good luck going in your life because this sounds like a fun opportunity. Yeah. I think it's A320s, A321s. I'm not mm. sure if they extended that to other aircraft, but still, I mean, the seats. And I, maybe it's a wake-up call to some of the guys who actually only flew in, uh, in Europe because they're like, these exist in short Well, hold. yeah, Can exactly. get that? <laughs> it was good. I, you know, I, I, th- I read the, the trip report with a great deal of interest because I was wondering if we would see one. But yeah, there was... Maybe eight or nine on the ground, or at least moving around the airport wow. when we were there. Yeah, and and I, you know, we wow. left on a Thursday, and and T five was busy, really busy. By the way, any other things you have to mention about your flight? Because you so you just mentioned about your son. You mentioned about the fact you had to reduce yeah, crew. Yeah. Any other happening? Uh, yeah, yeah, in the a few. I, again, uh, you know, positive on BA. So we used the uh, the the first wing to check in. But there was four of yeah, us, and they're like, nice. "I'm really sorry, we can't, we can't put you through security because it goes straight into the lounge, and you can only bring in one guest." And I'm like, "No, no, are you kidding? It's fine. Oh, okay, it's fine." They're like, okay. "But use the fast track security, you know, please, you know, no problem at all." And you know, what's interesting? I mentioned earlier that I I picked the uh, a window in a and an aisle times two from for my family, and I looked on the seat map on Expert Flyer maybe ten days before the flight. And BA had blocked the middle seats for us. Oh, okay. wow. I had not requested that or anything, but they had automatically wow. blocked them. And I would love to know if it was if it's because they knew that there was uh, a family there, or if it's because I'm a gold card holder, or what triggered that to be done. I asked when I checked in, and they said they didn't they didn't know. But here, here's what's interesting. I think as well is I went to the galleries. South Lounge, which is the bigger of the two the business bigger, class yeah. lounges, and I and I went up to the lady at one of the desks and said, "Is there any chance I could smuggle in my incredibly well behaved that was the lie children uh, <laughs> into the lounge?" And she she goes, she looked at me, she's like, you know, you're, you're a gold card holder, right? And I said, yeah. And she's you know, you're only really allowed to have one person, one guest in. Is is your wife? Does she have status or anything? And I said, actually, my son is six. And he has he's bronze. And she's like, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and she said, no, but you're only really allowed to, you're really only allowed to have one guest. Um, I'm really sorry. It's pretty busy in there, but enjoy. And just ushers us Aww. in. And that's the second Aww. time in a row that that's happened. I, I, I don't, and it's the second nice. time in a row where they've had to go through the spiel of, you only have one guest. It's really busy, but go ahead. But I love it. I think it's so nice that it's even the perception of yeah. breaking or bending the rules was really, really nice. Absolutely. So my kids, you know, there, there's a there's a kind of cordoned off games room area. The kids are quiet. But it was a nice gesture and really, really appreciated. These are the little things again, right? We say, I mean, of course, it's sometimes a lottery. You might not get that for maybe another person. Maybe that day is super, very busy. But these little things when, you know, these frontline people have some ownership mm-hmm. and can make these decisions make the whole difference about a passenger experience. You're not in front of a robot, you're in front of a human being that's going to either tell you no, but in a very polite way, or either tell you no and still let you in like with a wink and a smile. I mean, come on, this, this is what makes an airline It was great so well. great. And I really, really appreciate it. And I, and I, I let her know that. And, I, you know, I, and again, as I mentioned, the crew on the flight were excellent. We had a bit of a departure delay because a passenger was denied entry to the U.S. Oh, wow. Post check-in. So something happened right there. And, of course, their bag was like in the first container that was loaded onto the airplane. So that took yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of time. But it was a glorious flight on a beautiful, very new Dreamliner, which is just such a joyous plan. I tried to explain them. I kept turning around to my wife going, isn't this amazing? It's like, you feel better. You feel, and she's like, I, you know, and she spent most of her career in aviation as well. She's like, ah, I'm watching a movie go away. But, 
But my kids like playing, you know, they liked the windows and, and the, you know, flying into San Jose. Actually, another credit to BA, I, I took my, I'm doing this um, 90 mile charity bike ride in Boston in, in a few yeah. few weeks. And I brought my road bike with me and it arrived with not a scratch on it. Perfectly handled. So again, really nice. great job, BA. Shout out to you guys for uh, just a wonderful experience. Well, good. And uh, I don't know how to get to the next item of news because uh, we were both a bit uh, ironical about that one, uh, that the, there's a new director of brand of customer experience at British Airways. The, the guy who was there quit pretty abruptly. I don't know if he was fired or he quit. Mm. Uh, and suddenly this person who comes from Telefonica, I think, was hired. I don't have the name or name in front of me. Carolina. Yeah, I think Carolina Martinoli. Uh, what do you think? I, I, well, there's two two things here. I think to Troy Warfield, who was previously in this role, I think perhaps might have been the fall guy for the outage. And, yeah. And, and which is a shame yeah. if that's the case. Uh, it, you know, he wasn't. He was senior, but not nearly senior enough to take the fall for this. This lady, I don't know anything about her on a personal level. I'm sure she's lovely. She was with Alex Cruz at Iberia for a while, which immediately made me suspicious. But then, yes, as you say, (laughs) Telefonica, ICI, and Yell. She was the marketing director at Iberia before. If you want to bring revolution, you need to bring someone from outside. Yeah, yeah. But I just, I think you need to bring someone from outside of the industry or from somebody who has worked for an airline where that level of pedigree is so high like you know not necessarily an emirates because we know and appreciate their physical product but i'm thinking someone like a cafe or singapore airlines or you know maybe even a virgin atlantic uh that that could bring that experience in so who knows we'll have to see yeah i agree they're bringing someone from in-house of sorts and you want in such a situation with bas being beaten down and all the press etc you might want some fresh blood yeah uh we said the same thing about uh, cafe and having everybody from swire and having somebody from the outside would be a good idea that's a similar idea here i think i said in the previous episode before that about the fact that what I'm hearing inside of IAG is not that pretty. It seems to be a lot of inertia and because people have been working there for a long time, which is good. Loyalty, we value loyalty, but maybe it's time to for one or two key roles to have someone with fresh ideas, fresh ways of thinking, and maybe fresh uh, ways of doing of processing all these ideas within a company to come on board. I agree. But, uh, I agree. Well, good luck to Carolina still. Which news should I go? Yeah, well, there's just a fun one here. <laughs> We always say that uh, low-cost travel is the disruption. There's a story fantastic on the independent, Indy 100, actually, which is the fast-paced news outlet for the independent in the UK, about this guy who was trying to go from Newcastle to London. So these are two cities in the UK. And he looked at the pricing, and the price with the train was 78.50 quid. And then he said, well, actually, if I were to use low costs, I would get a better deal. There's no direct low cost. It is Newcastle to Menorca in Spain for 16 quid, then stayed a few <laughs> hours there, had a drink, and then found a Menorca to London, uh, so the flight back, for 11 pounds. So basically, the, the, the entire flight uh, got him, I think, 40 quid less uh, than the train would have taken, and he had like some cocktail on the beach. So, I mean, just to say that the state of travel, when people complain, I mean, you can get a Menorca to London for 11 pounds. That's nothing. I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, of course, it's it's not about, you know, oh, well, if you're taking the train, it would have been faster. How much is your time worth? Blah, blah, blah. It was to show that there's no cost-based analysis to justify 
how much train travel costs in the UK. I think is is tr- I think is the point he was trying to make, and he and he made it in yeah, a, of course in spectacular fashion. <laughs> we had a we had a message from one of our listeners, uh, Steve Pride. That's his name on Twitter at Steve two eight five, and he was telling us that Norwegians, since we're talking low cost, Norwegians has canceled a lot of flights for the second uh, summer in a row, apparently due to cruise shortages. And there's uh, apparently a lot of uproar in the Norwegian press. Of course, we, we don't read that as much because although Norwegian is uh, now global low cost, it still, it still has its roots there. So, of course, I guess people living there have a closer relationship and feel like people here in the UK with BA, right? Mm. And there's been a lot of uproar to the point that some people were starting to say that maybe the employees of Norwegian were, I'm not going to use the term mistreated, but the fact that they were really paid not enough, that they were their, their vacations had to be cancelled, they were flying way too much. Uh, Steve said that if you compare that to the number of hours flown by some of the crew in regional flights in the US, it's compared. So we're not talking about slaves for Norwegian, right. but he was asking us basically what we thought we think safe knowing that some of these airlines are using their crew to the limit i mean of course there are safety limits but do we feel how do we feel about it it's a difficult situation i mean I, one of the most interesting right. exposés i read on this not even exposé is not the right word but uh, i read cockpit confidential a few years ago, which is a fantastic book if you ever get an opportunity to read it. And it's written by a, I think he's Delta mainline pilot. And it's basically everything you've always wanted to ask about every component of air travel from the perspective of a pilot. And this is one thing that he has highlighted, and we've discussed many, many times on the show about when you are in the right seat, very young pilot on a regional air, uh, airline in the U.S., you get paid peanuts and you work like a dog. And I think that yeah. <laughs> that Norwegian is experiencing such rapid growth and the you know the the worldwide pilot shortage that at every airline in every country is experiencing has caught them short a little bit. Do I feel less safe? No, especially not in Europe because we have such stringent regulations on crew rest time and and all of that that no, I don't feel un, unsafe, but it's still a problem that is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. By the way, guys, if you're hearing sometimes background music on my end of the recording is because some of the uh, tabs we have open for the show suddenly get active and I got these freaking videos I know, that's, that coming up online. That punished by so I, jail. I, I, I'm so sorry for that, guys. I'm trying to control that. We if have you run a website, if, each end, we if have... you run a, we- a website that has <laughs> auto playing videos, shame. Like the uh, uh, Steve to just continue that, just to say one more thing. Steve also says, and that's interesting that the press has, has accused the CEO of Norwegian to say that since the price is so low people will tend to forget about the bad experiences they might experience in Norwegian and just keep buying again. So do you think that plays a role? I mean, I I still believe that price is the most important thing. Ryanair has been beaten up for years and people will still flying in hordes with them. So do you think people actually do forget uh, a bad experience? Or they just like gull it up and say, you know what, I know I'm going to have a bad experience. And I'm not saying that Norwegian is a bad experience because I have good ones, but... I think a lot think of people, people uh, and just say, have that opinion with Ryanair. I think their expectations are so low yeah. that when everything goes smoothly, they're they're pleasantly surprised. But I think that that Southwest have proven that you can scale to extraordinary levels and maintain a very high 
level of customer satisfaction as well. I I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. So again, I think this is growing pains for Norwegian. I'm a big fan of of what they do and what they're trying to do. So I wish them luck and I hope that they can solve this problem sooner rather than later. Uh, Moving on to some updates about the news we had uh, in the last episode. It was the Paris Air Show. Uh, I promised you that I would give you the tally of how many aircraft were sold by the two big ones. Boeing 571, Airbus 346. Bear in mind, though, that you know how it goes. You know, these are promises and some of these people then cancel or, you know. But Boeing, as we had into that, seemed to have won that war, if if there's such a war. And uh, also the other news linked to that is that uh, Leary, who was heading Airbus customer relations for, I think, more than 20 years, actually. He's retiring. And you might not know that's that guy, but he's responsible himself for more than $1 trillion worth of aircrafts being sold at Airbus. So we want just to give him a, a hats off yeah. here because uh, these these people are the cornerstone of our industry. And when they move on, well, we had to find the next one. Yeah, it's a, it's a staggering statistic. And he's really been the voice of Airbus for years and years and years. And when whenever you have these these sort of exchanges between Boeing corporate and Airbus corporate it's it, it's him and he's very very yeah. good he's an incredible salesman obviously with a trillion orders on his own book but uh, yeah it's uh, it's an end of an era for Airbus really uh talking about that there's some shakeups happening so I don't know it's probably not related directly to the sales in Paris but you know Airbus is this weird company compared to Boeing because they had to take care of all the sensibilities of many countries you know it's a consortium and there's a hands of a lot of European countries is in it and it seems that they're regrouping everything now and it's uh and basically it's going to be more like a normal company with one single head and one single person responsible for aircraft and not this kind of more networked and diverse yeah. and sometimes awkward ways of, of setting up a company it seems really there's some um, hard shakes within the company i think if you're right at airbus right now you're either on the good side or on the bad side yeah it's it I think there's a lot more going on behind the surface of this restructuring than meets the eye. And there were some inter- interesting comments on airliners, airliners or, or one of the other sites about this, that there's a little bit of a power struggle going on with that vacuum that Leahy left. So it'll be interesting to see how this plans out. But you're right. It is an extraordinary, it's almost like one of the big Japanese conglomerates, the way it's structured. And it's very, yeah. you know, then you sprinkle in yeah. however many companies EADS represents or countries EADS represents that just think Perhaps maybe they're just trying to simplify things, as you say. Uh, still in the Paris show, we, we mentioned the 797, so that future aircraft that Boeing is uh, promising and hinting at. So there's no aircraft yet, but as soon as the news was out, Norwegian said, we want it. Yeah, yeah. So they are forward thinking. Yeah, they, oh, there's no doubt about it. I think that they... Uh... I think a lot of airlines have been waiting for this to arrive. And I think it's also why you've seen the extension of life for so many 767s and 757s is so many airlines have been waiting for something like this to come along. And Norwegian just jumped on it, which is great. I'm excited to learn more about this this particular plane project. I think it's going to be a while before we get anything concrete. And it could be 10 or 15 years before we see it in the air. But it's still exciting. It's very rare that a new plane is born. One plane that uh, you can already experience, of course, the CS1. 100. I've flown them. You haven't flown it yet. 
The CS300, which is the big brother or sister, depending on which gender you want to give to the bird. So Swiss had switched some of the orders of CS100 to have the CS300. It was delivered. So for the, I think only Air Baltic had it up to now. So you can now fly the CS300. I haven't yet with Swiss. They've come up with a special livery for it. Uh, it's a very strange livery. Uh, many people have actually asked me what do I think about it because it's a livery that was created in Western Switzerland. So basically the French part of Switzerland where I come from. I was born and raised in Geneva. I don't find it ugly, but I find it a bit of a big question mark. I don't know what it actually means. I need to see it live to actually make a judgment. So guys, to all of those who have asked me what do I think about this livery, I will reserve judgment until I am able to board it. It flies in routes over Europe, so I hope to be able to fly it. The interesting bit for you, Alex, because that's a chance for you to fly maybe the CS100, is that BA is considering the CS100 for Lucy to New York. Are they really? I, I've, I've heard mentions of this, but I haven't heard anything official. Have they actually come out and said that they're going to do this? This is very cool. No, it's indirect rumors, uh, indirect information, but the noise has been growing. Uh, there might be something into it because that would be... First of all, the CS100 is a very appropriate plane for Lucy. It can actually, you know, uh, land at shortened runways, etc. So it's actually perfect. Having been inside, it also looks like a very nice... It could be a very nice business jet, like a even like a full business class jet. Yeah. So it could make and sense. And of course, that's Bombardier's bread and butter is the is the regional, but also the the business aircraft as well. So that's a, a natural extension. Embraer have done it with that. pretty much every airframe they've ever created. They've made a a business version, so it makes sense. But I would love for BA to do this because they've killed that service almost completely. The the Lucy New York flight, which I've done, but I would lo- I would love to see them pump a little bit more effort into that one. And I've haven't flown from Lucy for a long time actually, so um, I've I've only seen the, the the flights from my Guns and Roses concert, but I need to go back there. <laughs> uh, the uh, I've, I've flown Lufthansa recently, and uh, one thing that Qatar already does, and I think you've seen that in other uh, airlines as well, Lufthansa is deploying now iPad minis to all their staff, so they'll have, you know, the seat map, all the information about you. This is something we see more and more, and I think it's pretty cool because it allows... I know that you had said in one episode that it's so cool when, you know, the especially I think it was BA, they... They go, they remember your name by heart, and they come to you and they talk yeah. to you as if they don't have any information from them. But between that and not being able to manage my last name, having an iPad is not a bad idea, I think. Yeah, I think if you can give the, the frontline staff the information they need to kind of unlock those moments of delight, it's it's very helpful to, for them to be able to have it. So as long as they can do it in a, in a genuine and human-to-human way, right. then I think actually, yeah, it's very it's very powerful. Very good use of technology. Did you get a... Did you ask for a picture uh, during your flight at BA? Because no, you have this gosh, app that you can put the flight deck. I to do that. I'll, I will do that on the way uh, <laughs> home. Yeah, especially if you have kids. I think that's an easy way in. I mean, you, you, I, I'm not sure you can do it in the air. You have to do it before or after uh, when you're still on the ground. But uh, you should try. I mean, with your kids, it would yeah, be a fantastic it. memory. Plus, it's a 787-9 cockpit. It's not something we see every day exactly. yet. So you should absolutely do it. Just make me jealous of it. <laughs> Southwest has received its 
on to be shuttled in through the airport, uh, through terminals, basically got into an aircraft. I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. Somebody clearly didn't pay attention, but I clearly hope that these guys had insurance because, oh my God. Yeah, the pictures are devastating. I I, I'm, I'm, I hope, I think everybody was okay, but yeah, just a awful, I mean, the, I think the plane might be a write-off. The bus certainly is. <laughs> Moving on closely to my trip, uh, I mean, my trips, I've taken quite yeah, a few. Yeah, you've been all over the place. Uh, f- yeah, it's, uh, I actually don't exactly remember when I left off, but let's say so. I, w- I was going to Italy for a little R&R uh, in the middle of Italy. It was I flew to Pisa with a BA, with a 321, and I made one of these stupid mistakes that uh, we think were so clever, but we still do. I think I told during the last episode, like, yay, I get uh, an emergency exit. Only that 321s from BA have, uh, so there's two sets of emergency exits, two emergency exits in the middle. Each has two rows of seats. Uh, well, never take the one in front, which is the one I took, because it has actually less leg room than all the other I hate that. Uh, rows. And at the same time, doesn't recline. So I had actually the worst seat possible in the flight. It was okay, honestly, for a two-hour flight. But I mean, still, I was like, what did I think about not thinking about this through? You know, it was probably, you know, because on the BA's uh, website or app, when you select the seat, and I was able to select it before checking because obviously it was gold, you know, they highlight those in green. So you're like, I'm safe. This is better seat, I'm going to press this one. And obviously, it was the worst seat ever. So do not take the row in front of the emergency exit. Take the one that is slightly behind, because this one clearly has a lot of legroom, not mine. The, the bonus was that I was seated right next to the flight attendant, you know, who was actually seated in a reverse uh, position. Ah, okay. So it's really cool, because while she taking off or landing, I was chatting with her. That was pretty cool. So then I had to interrupt my INR to go to Paris for a client, a client that I actually does duty-free shops all around the world. It's called uh, La Gardère uh, Travel Retail. It's one of the four big groups that does all these duty-free shops you see around in the world. They do uh, probably, uh, I think, like 40 airports. So you might have, all you guys have seen one of these uh, recently. They own the one, of course, because they're French. Pretty much everything that has to do with French luxury uh, is with them. So that was a very cool client to work with. But the flight, so I had to take a cab for two hours to get to Rome FCO airport. And I had this memory of Rome, and we talked about it last year, a year and a half. You remember there was this big fire yeah. in Rome airport, and I was like, my God, what would be the situation? I remember like a dire situation, not only because of the fire, but probably the fire had created a, a very bad layout. Everything was temporary, so it was like, my God, I'm going to have a nightmare. Well, I arrived Terminal 1. Terminal 1 is the Alitalia Terminal. And my God, I was surprised. And I'm sorry because I say that as if I was I was expecting something really bad. But the Terminal 1 is spotless clean. Like, I've I rarely seen a terminal so clean than that. It's super efficient. I had actually a lot of time in front of me. My flight was supposed to leave at 8.30. And I look on, online and I see there's a, a 6.30 flight. And it's like, it's 5.00. And I and I go and I say, may I be on the 6.30 flight? And she looks at her computer, like in two seconds, tells me, oh, you can even be at this 5.30 flight. I look at her, come on, 5.30 is like in 30 minutes. I've not checked in. I've not gone through security. She's like, no, you'll be fine. I look at her and say, okay, challenge accepted. You know what? Okay, I had fast track security, and it was the middle of the day. There's not a lot of people. Even if I had to take uh, the normal security, it took me literally three minutes to do wow. the whole thing. And I was in front of the gate. So super efficient. I will, wow. You know, I was really super surprised by this terminal. I flew 
Air France, very nice. I was a 320. Uh, but I always enjoy Air France, to be honest. Uh, maybe because I speak French, but there's always something uh, good about it, cool yeah. about it. The way back, I was in an aircraft that I'm not sure I had ever taken. If I did, it had been a long time. It was the A318, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny 220. Yeah, That's a very cute aircraft, actually. Super it is cute. cute. Cute is the Same perfect word. Super experience. I mean, I was afraid again here. I was afraid of this time of Charles de Gaulle because people know how we both love <clears throat> Charles de Gaulle. Well, David Bizer was a friend of ours who lives in Paris and works as a, as a recruiter there for startups. Always kind of challenged us on the position saying, like, if you live in Paris, Charles de Gaulle is not so bad. Besides going there because it's not actually fast train or whatever. Well, actually, it's true because uh, it was okay, actually. I cleared everything. Not three minutes like the Terminal 1 at Italia, but Terminal 2F, I think I was, which is the Air France, the big, fat Air France terminal. It was actually pretty fast. He also brought up memories for me because that's the terminal I was commuting at when I was living in Japan to go back to Switzerland. I was in the exact same lounge I used to oh, be, nice. so it was pretty cool. Too. And they have a, this lounge that is, you see only aircrafts everywhere you are. So it's really nice. You see all the jet bridges and all the aircrafts going and coming. So that's actually pretty cool. So yeah, I will, I will give that to Charles de Gaulle. I will mention quick news here that Charles de Gaulle will have its own TGV, so the high-speed train, uh, built in, within the next five years, apparently. So oh, wow. that one remark I just said about getting being hard to get might be obsolete in a few years because they will have a super fast train to go into the city that will change the game for, for Charles de Gaulle because it's truly a nightmare yeah, to get there. The experience of the 318 was fantastic. I was in the front row. Uh, I was honestly super cool. And again, from FCO, I land there and I cleared everything. I didn't have, obviously, any checked-in luggage. I cleared everything in three minutes as well. Of course, we're talking, we are in Schengen, so there's no immigration. But that was super fast. So I can only say that I was happy. A few days later, I was flying to Seoul, the airport of today. So I was again flying out of FCO, this time Terminal 3, which is basically all the other airlines. <laughs> Terminal 2 is a low cost, if you want, and Terminal 3 is the one that burned down. So that was the dire experience I remember, and it's pretty impressive what they've done. They've actually, because it, they had no choice but to rebuild it or refurbish it because it had burned down, they made something quite cool. So the, the check-in is still okay-ish. I think it's too cramped. It was Saturday. A lot of tourists were going on vacation, so that was a bit cramped, I'll admit. The one thing I noticed, and I told you, and it's, I think this is something that we'll see more and more in airports around the world, is that the part where American Airlines, not the airline, but U.S. Airlines, were being checked in was a separate area with a pane of glass. So you had to go through a different part really? of the check-in. You know, it's all about this extra security, whatever. So it's a bit like, of course, like we mentioned that earlier on the show, flying to Israel, right? It's it's not as you know, stringent probably as Israel, but they have already their own part in the check-in, in the departure hall, only for U.S. airlines. That's I think we're going to, as I you say, we'll we're going to see more. more and more of that. Yep, yeah, it's just the way it's going. Yeah. Uh, so checking with a uh, Korean Air, uh, that was, it's, it's, you know, these, I'm not going to bash them, but sometimes it's super quirky. You go online, I'm on the app, you can check in, which I do. And at the end, instead of getting a boarding pass, I get a confirmation, which tells me you are confirmed, you are check in, but this is not a boarding pass. So I still need to go to the yeah, check-in well, counter, which weird. I found completely... What's, what's the well, point? Exactly. I go to the check-in, which was a bit of a disaster in terms of the layout because everybody was in a wrong queue and people, you know, a bit 
I will say like in a most uh, gentle way what you expect sometimes in Italy, you know. But I was, it was everything was more you know positive. People were happy, so it was it was okay. And then I discovered what happened for Terminal Three, uh, and I know it's not the, the, the airport of today, but they've really redone it completely. So it's in a strange position because you can still see parts of the old terminal. And the all refurbished or new part of the Terminal 3 are amazing, are truly wow. amazing. They're beautiful. They're super big. Uh, by the way, the, the, the duty-free shop was done by the French guys I was working. So I was texting them, hey, guys, I'm in your duty-free shop here. It's super airy, very large passages. You never feel cramped. It's Honestly, it's a success. Hats off to Rome FCO nice. for having done that because it's really impressive, honestly. You will end up going there, Alex, and you will be impressed. It's one of the best laid-out airports I've seen in uh, in Europe, to be honest. It's uh, it's up to what we see in Asia, man. That's, Honestly, wow, that's, really, that's really, impressive. What is not impressive is that, again, a few gates, not mine, but a few of the loungers are still in the old part. And these loungers are the worst I've ever seen. I mean, not the worst I've ever seen because I said that it was Pisa, which I couldn't test this time. I stayed literally for... Two minutes, and then I said, "You know what? I'm out of here." Yeah. <laughs> I had, but you know what? When I came back, I said, "I have my priority pass, and I'm going to check another lounge." This is at the time I discovered that new part I just uh, was talking about, and then I decided just to walk around it and to to discover it, and it's worth it. So, bravo to Rome FCO and 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 Flying Korean. The 747-8i, man, I've done it. Uh, Nick Donnelly was actually, uh, you know, playing with me on Twitter saying, oh, you, you, if you like that kind of airplane, you were born uh, 20 years too late. Yeah, probably, because, of course, we are lovers of the 747. It's very similar than the 747-400. Two things that actually set them apart that you can, one, you can feel and now you can visibly see. The upper part is longer. Yes, and the other thing, it is actually quieter. It's not quiet to 350 levels, but it's clearly, I think Boeing says, I think 20% quieter. You can actually feel that. It is 20% quieter. Mm. I was on the upper deck. I had read by Ben Schlapping on his One Mile at a Time website that he considers that seat, business seat, to be the best ever business seat. That's a I heck get of his a point, statement. Honestly. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. And I so I will still say I am an outlier because people know if you've been listening to that show that I am one ninety six centimeters, so six four, a little bit more than six four in feet. For lying flat, I'm slightly too tall, which is why I would have a preference probably for Cathay Pacific, which I had the best night ever in Cathay Pacific business class when we talked about it a few episodes ago. But there's one thing that is really great is that you feel completely secluded. Every seat, even though you're on the window, you have, I had five windows for me. It looks like almost like first class. I had five windows, fully life flight, big screen, and I had my own access to Beautiful. the air. And it's super well done as well because there is a little table. It's a little protrudence at uh, the end of the seat of my fellow passenger. They're slightly, they're not exactly level. I'm slightly ahead of him or her, if you want, or the other seat, which allows that little space, but which also allows the flight attendant to come give you food or talk to you without disturbing the other passenger. So it's really, really well thought out. So I, I was super lucky. I'm super happy to have done it. I had a great flight. I slept like a baby. You have to try that. I can't that. wait. I Terms can't of, wait. Uh, 
The uh, soft product, I will say that uh, Korean Air is very good, but it's not Singapore, it's not Cathay, it's not Emirates. The quality of the food was, I, I took all the Asian options, the Korean options, sorry. It was honestly fantastic. It is slightly robotic, and also you can clearly feel that most of the flight, uh, my the upper deck was Koreans, and I was a foreigner, and maybe they didn't really, weren't sure how to handle mm. me a bit. Maybe it was just, just that day was just an observation but it was very very good i really did appreciate it very good ife so it, it is a fantastic flight to seoul on the way back similar i had uh, also the 747-8 i so I flew twice back to london the one thing that was super cool is that when you are in xian they are at i don't know it seemed to me that there were like at least 10 of those eight eyes all around us really it, it's they have, I don't know, they, they rely on those for a lot of flights. It was really fantastic. Honestly, to just to see them was really fantastic. And the flight, again, on the upper deck, I had, um, on the way in, I had 18A, which is supposedly uh, an emergency exit. I say supposedly because when you have a life flight seats, you know, emergency exit is, doesn't yeah, mean exactly. a lot of things. Yeah, exactly, right? The only difference is that, of course, I had this a big fat area that was free in front of me. I had a nine, uh, 19A, so the seat just right behind on the way back because 18A wasn't available. The one difference, not a big one, but it's really cool that you have, like on the 380 on the upper deck, you have these side storages. The side storage on 18A... I, I could have put like three carry-ons. It was huge. Wow. I could use so much space. <laughs> While oh, on that. 19A, it was it was smaller. But still, I mean, honestly, kudos to Korean Air. If only that they bought these aircrafts. They're fantastic aircraft. The one thing uh, I will finish uh, by that is that uh, maybe because I'm getting older, but it, it looked like the, all the crew was younger than me, including the pilots. Oh, wow. <laughs> I I met him twice. Was going to the bathroom. You go because the bathroom is I, I just in front of the door, access to the flight deck. And twice I saw the captain. By the way, there was didn't seem they were like a, they were not overly concerned about having the door being opened whilst we were there. Oh, that's the interesting. But it, that's good. Yeah. But the guy was I was like this guy must be twenty five or something. Probably not. By the way, but it was, I'm getting older. I'm like oh wow. All yeah, the, everybody. All the yeah, exactly. Is, he's getting younger. Yeah, it's, uh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Uh, one more uh, piece of news about Koreans since I'm on it. Delta and the Korean, they are already both part of a Sky Team. They are now going closer. They're doing interlining agreements. So you'll have, if you fly Delta and or if you fly a Korean from and to the US and obviously Korea, but also a few of the other places in Asia, you'll have a much better integration. This is probably good news if you fly over the Pacific. So Alex, if you want to go to Korea from where you are, just book on Delta and you'll probably be on a 747-8i by Korean nice. Air. That's good to know. That's great to know. <laughs> Okay, that's uh, because we have talked a lot uh, and we have still an airport to do. So let's go just for two uh, news. One, since we're in Asia, that woman who threw coins into the engine of a 320 because she wanted to, I guess, wish good yeah, luck. Yeah, this is adorable slash terrifying. <laughs> like she did. She gen You know, she was a very uh, elderly lady and she did what I guess is a co common practice of throwing the these coins into... Well, she threw them into the engine as she was walking to the airplane. And of course, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think wow. she threw nine coins and I think maybe only one or two actually went into the engine. But they had to go and do a full boroscope, take the engine apart. 
And it took, I think they were delayed five hours. They didn't press any charges because she didn't, you know, this wasn't a deliberate act of sabotage. She was, she was, she just thought she was doing something, you know, the right thing. I, I don't know if she'd ever been on an airplane before. So it's hard not to smile at the story, but I'm glad that somebody saw. Otherwise, it really could have been disastrous. It could have been t- entirely innocuous, but it could have been disastrous. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. I mean, honestly, it's hard to fault her because she probably did that again, really for peace and safety of the fly. There was no like uh, ill intent in that whatsoever. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Talking about the ill intent, that that piece of crazy news. I don't know what the guy was on this this story. I think was it. I don't remember which flight it was in the U.S. So that guy goes to the bathroom. He's in business. What they call first in the U.S. He goes to the bathroom, goes out, says something to a flight attendant, goes back into the bathroom for a minute goes out and then she simply attempts to basically open the door mid-flight and had to be subdued by extraordinary means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It is crazy. I think they were doing, say it was Seattle to Beijing uh, on, a, on a... Yeah, on a, correct. Absolutely. On a 767. And uh, yeah, this guy was, he was on a buddy pass as well, which is means that he had a, he wasn't an employee of the airline, but uh, he had a friend or relation that was who gave him a pass to fly. Basically as a non-revenue passenger on this flight. And he just, he clearly went nuts and tried to open the door and basically got his ass kicked. Uh, there was this <laughs> huge brawl and they they cracked him over the head with a wine bottle to try and, I mean, it was basically yeah. anything <laughs> yeah. they could to, to get this guy to, to chill out. And they zip tied him uh, to, to, to finally subdue him. But, you know, he, he was charged with uh, interfering with a flight crew member, which is a federal offense in the U.S., as it bloody well should be, and assaulting, you know, these two flight attendants and is, I think, due to go to a hearing, I think either it either just happened or is going to happen on Thursday. But yeah, he... Yeah. he unbelievable and there was pictures uh, on Twitter that I think came from the Seattle Times oh my God. of the galley which is yeah, where the door God. was thrashed absolutely thrashed it looks like those pictures you see after yeah, turbulence like- you know there's wine stains on the yeah, flipping yeah, yeah, yeah. ceiling <laughs> <laughs> but I think so I think the you mentioned the, the white bottle. I think he was trying to hit one of the flight attendant with white bottle, and one other flight attendant smashed an entire white bottle, a yeah. white bottle guy with a glass white bottle on his head, and that didn't deter him. He was still freaking trying to open the door. The lever was at half of its position. Uh, of course, at that point, if it had been slightly up, the pilot would have gotten the signal immediately, I think. And they say that at the altitude they were in, the door could have still opened because if you do that like at, at you know at high high um uh, a cruising altitude because of the differential there's no way the door actually yeah. opens but that at where they were it could have opened but the thing is what in the name of god is was this guy thinking it seems that he was completely out of his head i don't know if it was terrorism i don't know if it was just at some point he says when the one of the flight attendants tries to subdue him he says do you know who i am i say why, why? you're trying to open a door what, what I, yeah we were exchanging Alex, Alex, and, and I when that what that was happening. I mean, just after it happened, and I think, and I think you were in agreement that if I had been seated in the front of the cabin because it happened right in the front, I would have gotten there and hit with anything I got to just 
make him not open yeah. the door. Yeah, for absolutely. Because and that, that is... was what happened. Basically, a lot of passenger ha- when their hands to brawl the malaise, almost like rugby. And like, oh yeah, and I, I, I guess I mean there's there's something clearly wrong with this guy because they zip tied him to a wheelchair to get him off the plane. And I guess as they were going through the terminal, he was flipping out and literally like flipped the wheelchair over and was screaming and everything. So there's something clearly. You know, you hope you get the guy gets the the help he needs, but you know the the maximum penalty for something like this is twenty years in jail and a quarter of a million dollar fine. Wow! I mean, I, they're not going to do that, but the, this this is a hell of a story, and the pictures are just staggering. I don't know if we we'll ever no. know why that guy would do that. Maybe he was he was mentally ill, or maybe it was an act of terrorism. I yeah, don't know. I, but there's something I, clearly something wrong with clearly, the guy. I don't think it was terrorism, but it, whatever it was, is pretty terrifying. Do you think, though, that the person who gave him the this body pass has any kind of yeah, responsibility? Yeah, there is. I mean, I, I don't mean, know what the, what do you think what Delta is like, but certainly, in my experience as an airline employee, when you when you have these body passes, there it's not just implied. There's an explicit extension of your own responsibility and culpability when you give these passages to okay. to, to some passes to somebody that you know they are representing you, and you will hear about it if you if they cause any problems and i think there was a lot of chatter in some of the forums that you know there's been a lot of airlines looking at these past systems and that this could be a privilege that's removed from employees if people abuse them or or incidents like this happen wow why my god i mean honestly i don't know how i would have reacted if i were a passenger as i said before i don't know what my gut would have told me i would have tried to subdue him by all means possible and i'm not someone violent or anything but i mean this is yeah. Wow. I don't know. Absolutely. Wow. wow. Anyway, um, we'll go to the airport because if there were a lot of news we wanted to cover, but obviously since we are recording in a slightly reduced space these days, so we're giving you another episode that is slightly longer because God knows when we're going to be able to record the next one because by the time I come back from my trips in Hong Kong and Manila, I think Alex is in LA, which will also again push the recording for the episode by a little bit. So we apologize, guys, in advance that we're not recording at the same pace. So in Xi'an, I went to Incheon. It was a very last minute decision. I was basically invited to give an opening talk at a conference where Former President Obama was Amazing. talking. Oh, my God. It was, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, which was pretty cool to see him actually very close. He was two tables in front of me and then gave a speech. It was also like the former prime minister of the UK, David Cameron, former prime minister of Japan. There were like really a lot of big shots. Anyway, this is why I didn't choose the flight. The, the company that invited me chose that 747-8, and I'm very grateful to them because they couldn't have chosen better. I was like, really? Oh, of course I'm going to fly to 747-8. I, anyway, uh, I've been to Incheon a few times. I don't think you've ever I been there, no, no. right? So when I used to live in Japan, I was uh, I, I was going there uh, because it's only like an hour and thirty minutes flight. Uh, so it's a nice uh, weekend destination if 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 you want. It was one of the international flights that uh, you could take from Aneda actually before Aneda opened up way more to international flights as they uh, do now. It's a fantastic airport. It has been voted many many times over uh, the world's best airport by various awards. It always competes with. Of course, Shanghai, Singapore, and Hong Kong Airport. These three names always 
you know, are the top three, and sometimes they switch order. There's a reason for that. It's really a fantastic airport. It was built uh, quite recently, actually. It's not a very old airport. It's in the northwest of the city, which is also a huge, huge city, obviously, Seoul, because the, the old airport, in brackets, Gimpo, was reaching capacity and it had a, an issue to expand. So they built that thing. It is a bit far from the city. Uh, it took me, I think, at least an hour by car to get there every single time. There are trains to get there, but it's it's a bit far out. But in terms of efficiency, it is absolutely super efficient. It's very grand. There's a lot of air and room, uh, very light as well. There's a good vibes wearing to this airport. You don't feel cramped. You don't feel like overwhelmed by the structure. So that's something that works very well for it. It's also super well organized. You'd expect that obviously from South Korea, obviously, but it, 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 it gives out a sense of security and that everything will be okay and I'll make my flight, I'll make immigration super fast, which by the way is also super fast. In terms of passenger experience, something very interesting that a lot of airports should think about it's not bulletproof, but it's interesting. Uh, you have, Alex, of course, you have uh, passports from the UK, uh, from the US. So by default, your language is uh, English. But let's say if you had a French passport, when you arrive at immigration and you put your passport in you know, the machine, there's a person in front of you, you have to put in the machine. The language setting of the machine oh, changes according cool. to the nationality. Small, but cool. Yeah. Obviously, for me, always because as a Swiss, I'm using always my Swiss passport. It was displaying me German, and obviously, I speak French. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I reacted. I was like, "Why is it in German?" Oh, because my that's passport cool. is Swiss, which is fine. I can I can, I can read it and, and speak German, but still, it's it's an interesting tidbit. But it, it it's one of these little things that help soothe this old you know anxiety of going through immigration, for instance. That I was super that's nice. efficient. That's a nice touch. There are three runways. There's basically one big fat terminal called Terminal One. They're building Terminal Two, which will relocate for I think. France and uh, parts of Sky Team will be there, but right now there's one big and it's really big. It's pretty easy to navigate the lounges. Uh, so I've experienced, I think I mentioned obviously last uh, year when I was uh, connecting at Etienne with Asiana which is the other big airline from uh, South Korea. I experienced their lounges. They were very cool. For this time, I experienced Korean Air Lounge, the Prestige, which is their business class uh, lounge. It was my second time there. It's a very, uh, very nice lounge as well. It has another benefit. It has views over basically the entire apron and two of the runways so these are the kind of things yeah that helps this feeling of airiness i was mentioning you always seem to be looking outside pretty much anywhere you're in the airport which gives a sense of uh, hominess to the airport i don't know how to describe that and the one thing that since incheon which is a city separated from seoul actually uh, the, the one thing that the government is doing, and we had mentioned that as well, I think in a few, well, at least a year ago as well, that Incheon is building an entire city next to the airport. They want the airport to become a destination. They want to have, of course, entertainment. They want to have, you know, the movies and malls. And they want people to go there just for the sake of actually going there, not only to just separate the airport. This is a bit of the idea that we see in Singapore. Yeah. They're currently building this uh, massive thing in the middle, and also something that they are thinking of at Hong Kong. Again, these three airports are always in the top three for a reason. They're always thinking ahead of what can we do to make these airports more attractive and easier for passengers. So yeah, it's, it is a fantastic airport. The one quirk, obviously, is that I was in Korea when 
the missile stash yeah. by the guy up north. So there was a bit of tension, obviously. And um, it's not there, but it's still at the back of your mind. And interestingly, Incheon is actually super close to the border of North Korea. Yeah, it's slightly disturbing <laughs> and, when they do something like that. Yeah, and and when you take off, uh, I think I was taking off for 1634, one of the runways. When you when you take off, you can see that uh, Korean Air, and I'm, I know that some airlines go through North Korea, but Korean Air made a, quite a good detour yeah, they did. Uh, to avoid North Korea. That was like, pretty visible on the flight path that you have on your moving map. I was like, okay, well, they're, 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 clearly you're doing that for a reason, yeah. right? <laughs> well, and uh, the airport, it keeps expanding. I think uh, by the end of 2020, it should have five runways wow. instead of three. See at the speed they're going, and we still don't have yeah. a third runway to throw. Um, terminal 2 is opening this year, the end of this year. They will expand Terminal 1, which will be called Main Terminal. I don't know if they're renaming the thing, but it will really become a massive hub. It is already a massive hub, by the way. When it started operations in 2001, it, it had less than 15 million passengers a year, and I think it's now reaching 60 million wow. passengers a year. So you can see that there's an expansion. And of course, because it's a few uh, months before, you'll probably see a lot of images and hear a lot about Incheon because they have the Winter Olympics coming uh, up. Of course. And uh, I'm probably sure that a lot of the uh, the flights, in, if you go there, you'll be actually going through Incheon. You can go through Gimpo. I've actually never done that airport, so I cannot compare. But apparently, from what I hear... Gimpo is not that much closer, uh, slightly, but it's less convenient in terms of that big, airy, and good, homey feeling. So would I do, that's my last question, would I do a layover here? Yeah, obviously, I would actually have done layovers of six hours, and it was fantastic. But if you have that amount of time, you can just, just, just go to Seoul, just enjoy some great Korean barbecue, and my God... It's spicy, but it's so, 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 so good. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm sold. I'm going. And uh, Alex, so I don't know when we will be able to talk next. So you're flying next to LA, am I next correct? Next week, yep, to LA and then uh, at the beginning of next month to Boston. I don't have anything planned in between, but you never know where the wind will take me. So who knows? How are you flying to LA? Uh, southwest from Oakland, very early in the morning. Nice. Well, that will be a piece of news you're going to be telling us next time we record. Guys, a uh, slightly longer episode. We don't know when we will record back. I'll have more news about Hong Kong and Manila. And even probably if Alex is in LA, we can record about Singapore and Bangkok, which are my two other destinations for this month. So lots of uh, other words to say in the next show. And until then, safe travels, guys. <laughs> <laughs>